following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let people, let not people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marianne. Let's pray. May I speak to the glory of God the Father, in the name of God the Son, and through the power of God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you would have heard me speak previously of Michael Ramsey's Five Helps for the New Year. I know we're nearer now to the start of February than the start of January, and we're way past New Year advice. But the five helps that Michael Ramsey offered to his clergy as bishop are ones which stand as wisdom whatever time of the year we are in. The five helps were 1. Thank God, often and always. Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. 2. Take care about the confession of your sins. Confess your sins regularly and attentively. Three, be ready to accept humiliations. 
They can hurt terribly, but they can help to keep you humble, whether trivial or big. Accept them. Four, do not worry about status. There is only one status that our Lord bids us to be concerned with, and that is our proximity to him. And finally, five, use your sense of humour. Laugh at things. Laugh at the absurdities of life. Laugh at yourself. Tonight we're continuing our journey through the book of Jonah. And one of the reasons that Jonah is so enduringly important for nurturing our life of faith is that he is not a biblical hero too high and mighty for us to identify with. Here is someone at our level, a companion for our own ineptness as disciples. Even when Jonah does something right, as happens in our reading tonight, he does it wrong by first refusing to do it at all in the first place, and then having done it, getting angry with God for asking him to do it. And yet the whole time, God is working within and around Jonah's ineptitude and accomplishing his purposes through him. My friends, there is hope for us all in the story of Jonah. Most of us need a biblical friend or two like Jonah. In our reading tonight, as we journey through Jonah, we reach the second episode of the book. The past two weeks covered the first episode. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah to go to Nineveh. And instead of obeying the word of the Lord, Jonah decides to flee and go in the opposite direction. He jumps on a ship, a storm develops. Jonah is thrown off the ship and swallowed by a big fish. After three days and three nights, he finds himself back on dry land. And our reading tonight begins in many ways where we started with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah for a second time. What follows in chapter three could be summed up as a story of repentance. Summed up because the actual word repentance doesn't appear in our text. But when Jesus refers to Jonah in Matthew and Luke's gospels, he refers to the people of Nineveh as those who heard God's message and repented, contrasting the actions of the people of Nineveh with the Pharisees whom he is addressing. Jonah doesn't tell the people of Nineveh to repent directly, but rather proclaims the message he has given. Back at the start of chapter one, God tells Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So when Jonah eventually arrives in Nineveh, his message is both simple and stark. Forty days more and Nineveh will be overturned. Nineveh is destined for destruction. Their days are literally numbered. And in response to this message, the people declare a fast and repent. They turn around from their actions. And as a people, 120,000 people, we're told in chapter 4, they listen to God's message and respond to the words of his prophet. And where the people lead, 
the king follows. Let everyone call upon God, he declares. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. His instructions of fasting and repentance are so thorough that it's not just the people who were to put on sackcloth and ashes, but their cattle and animals too. Now that's quite an image. Dogs and cows wandering around in sackcloth and potentially with ashes on their heads. If you've ever been to downtown Delhi or Mumbai at the right time of year, you'll know exactly what that looks like. So with their actions, the kings and the people repent. They confess their wrongdoing. They say sorry for their violence, their wickedness, and they turn. But what happens when people don't say sorry? When they are so convinced by the rightness of their actions or whose hearts have been so hardened by pride that saying sorry becomes the hardest word. For this, we don't need to look to Nineveh, but rather to consider the events of the past weeks in America, not least this past week with the inauguration of Joe Biden. Whilst Joe Biden's victory may have come as a surprise to some, it may have come as an enormous shock to others, not least to the many church leaders and pastors who prophesied, prophesied victory for Donald Trump. Here's a brief selection of those who did exactly that. Every single prophet has said that Donald Trump is going to win. God spoke to me, all right, what's going to happen in 2020? I think President Trump is going to be re-elected handily. Uh, I think he will win the election uh, without any question. Donald Trump is going to win this election, and it's going to be a red tsunami. And yeah, we're going to take the House. And I know it's topsy-turvy in the Senate, but I'm telling you, we're going to take the Senate as well. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that President Trump will have a second term. I am speaking from the future. Yes, you at are. this moment. Right this moment. And I am going to proclaim yes. that President Trump will be President of the United States. <laughs> Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. I agree I with am that. going to proclaim that the Republicans will take the Senate and the House. I'm telling you that President Trump is going to triumph in 2020. God is going to shake this nation. The Lord brought that man to office for a purpose and a plan. He was set there by God's divine hand. He will not be removed. And I believe, as those prophets have said, and the Holy Spirit has revealed to me too, I believe, that Donald Trump is going to be reelected president in the United States, and he'll be reelected, I believe, in a landslide. No matter what the politics say, no matter what's going on, we believe that this president shall be reelected. I prophesied that to you some years back in 2020. Did God show you who's going to win the election? Yes, he if, did. If believers, and I know it's always if believers pray. Right. But he showed me three times in a dream, and I showed this first time. There's a clip that was made here. I dreamed that Donald Trump got reelected. Um, that's no guessing games. He is the one that God's going to put his hands on. I think he's going to win again. 
by landslide. Some kind of landslide. It could be an electoral landslide, but it's going to be a landslide. Now, before we indulge in any uh, Scheudenfreude, laughing at the way that so many of these pastors, priests and prophets got it so very, very wrong, let's all acknowledge that we all get things wrong. And let's give thanks too, that when we get things wrong, there isn't necessarily a television camera or interviewer recording us and amplifying our mistakes for all to see. Rather, let's consider what happens when having got it wrong and recognising the need to repent, to apologise, to own up the actions that we need to take. To recognise that if you were one of those men we just saw, you can have a hard time getting anyone to believe you. Who's going to win the Grand National this year? Never mind the important stuff, prophesying over the life of another person, prophesying to a church community or the state of affairs in the nation. Who's going to take you seriously now? Well, one of those who's done the hard and difficult thing and repented and has issued an apology for what he has said has been Chris Vallotton, a senior associate of the Bethel Church in Redding, California, and one of the co-founders there of their School of Supernatural Ministry. Now, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with Bethel, it has a, a church community of 11,000 members, nearly 10% of the population of Reading in which it's based. And it also has a global following, not least through its music ministry, which has been a blessing to many churches across the world, including to our own. We sing their songs, uh, not least in this service, songs such as Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean, uh, and more recently, Reckless Love, uh, written by Corey Aysbury, a member of the Bethel Music team. Now, Chris Vallotton, one of the senior leaders there, took to Instagram after the US election to apologise for prophesying that Donald Trump would win a second term. This is what he said. I was wrong. I take full responsibility for being wrong. There's no excuse for it. I think it doesn't make me a false prophet, but it does actually create a credibility gap. And a lot of people trust me, trust my ministry. And I want to say I'm very sorry for everyone who put their trust in me. And that this was a major, major mistake. Saying sorry can be hard. It can be humiliating. It can seem like all that you've ever worked for now lies in ruins around your feet. It can feel like being broken. And yet it is in brokenness, in confession, in the humiliation that we discover a new life in Christ. It's precisely in that place of repentance that we discover anew and afresh the grace of God who comes to us in Jesus and welcomes us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
This is the gospel that we preach, that the kingdom of heaven is full of people who are poor in spirit, who are broken, who are confessing, who get it wrong, who mess it up, who acknowledge their failings and their utter dependency on God. God invites us to a new way of life that's found in turning away from sin and turning to him, to recognise in humility that we are dust and that to dust we shall return. And in that humility to acknowledge him, just as the people of Nineveh did. But there is a temptation not to say sorry, not to apologise, but rather to double down on our mistakes. Not everyone who prophesied a victory for Donald Trump has shown the wisdom and humility of Chris Valentin. Here is Greg Clark's response to those who suggest that he should apologise for his prophecy that Donald Trump should win the election. I got full-grown pastors, okay? Full-grown adult men sending me text messages, sending me inbox messages, asking me when I'm going to repent and resign my church because I said Trump was going to win the election and Trump didn't win. Let me tell you something. Trump won by landslide, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, I'm almost ashamed of these pastors and preachers and prophets that say, well, I'm going to have to apologize. No, you ain't got to apologize for nothing. He won single-handedly, hands down, biggest historical landslide. That's a factual deal, ladies and gentlemen. The man won. I ain't apologizing to nobody for what I know in my spirit to be true. I am not required by God to accept something and submit to something that I know is demonic and fraudulent. You hear that? You heard that from your pastor. He is not my president and never will be until he wins an election the way the American election process is supposed to go. Somebody say amen up in this house. Now tonight is not the night to go into a long discussion about false prophets, the abuse of religious authority, or the dangers that come when we subjugate our faith to another narrative which seeks something other than God's purposes. But there are dangers there for all of us, especially but not exclusively for religious leaders. The dangers that come from replacing our primary identity as disciples of Christ with an allegiance to another purpose no matter how convinced we are of the rightness of that purpose or cause. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells the religious leaders of his day, the people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said that to encourage those leaders to repent. There will always be a temptation for each of us when we examine our conscience to justify behaviour which we know to be wrong, to self-justify, to defend, to turn from the truth that hurts 
because it damages our pride, impacts on our status, requires us to accept the humiliation that comes from acknowledging that we got it wrong. And faced with that choice, we can either throw ourselves on the mercy of God and embrace his forgiveness, or be convinced of our own rightness and willingly refuse to see our own wrongdoing. Michael Ramsey's five helps to live in gratitude, to confess our sins often, to accept those humiliations that keep us humble, to laugh at ourselves and not to worry about status. That advice, those helps are not just for a new year. It's advice that each of us would do well to remember daily. My friends, the power of repentance lies in our ability to recognise the grace and goodness of God, who invites us daily to turn to him again, to place our trust in him again, to reorient ourselves each day so that God is again our centre and our guide. So this night, may God give to each of us the wisdom of the people of Nineveh to turn to him each day, to name and recognise our brokenness, to acknowledge our failings, and in so doing, to embrace him as our Lord and our God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.